Well, good morning. We are glad you are here. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule uh, to be a part of our time together in the Word. Uh, Just as we talked about this past Wednesday, um, the importance of us as a church family continuing to be united around God's Word and united through His presence and His Spirit. Uh, I'm so thankful that we get a chance to worship together today by acknowledging the truth that is found in the living Word of God. So thank you for being a part of, of, of this today and being a part of our opportunity to gather together again on a Sunday morning. It is good to be together. This morning, I, I'm excited about what we get a chance to talk about. It's going to be found in the book of John. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and turn open to the book of John. I'll tell you where in just a minute. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, this is a great time that you can hit pause uh, and go grab a copy of God's Word and have it with you. Uh, it's okay to pause it. You're not going to miss anything. Uh, and, and keep that in mind as we go throughout our time together. It's okay to hit pause and talk about something or if you need to take a break or whatever. Uh, just reminding you that hey, you have the opportunity to do that. But, and you don't need to be reminded, that the reason we're having to do church in this type of format is because of what's going on in our world with COVID-19, uh, with Uh, All of these new terminologies that we're talking about and dealing with, the social distancing and all of these things, this is kind of where we are and why we're here. Uh, And this morning, I want to encourage you uh, through God's Word. Actually, it's not me encouraging you, it's God through His Word, encouraging and reminding us uh, of the urgency and the incredible privilege we have today to experience love and comfort Uh, Two things that are always necessary in our lives, two things that are always necessary uh, in how we interact with people and how we interact in our our relationship with God the Father. And today I just want to remind you of some incredible biblical truths uh, pertaining to love and comfort. You know, the truth is that life is very troubling. It's very disconcerting. It's very, it can be very disturbing at times. Life uh, uh, has been compared to a lot of things. It's a roller coaster. It has its ups and downs. It's troubled waters. Uh, life is crazy and, and it has all of these moments. Terrence reminded us of this this past Wednesday night when we gathered for our Facebook live stream of how he was talking about the anxiety that comes with the things that this world produces. The fruit of this world uh, is radically different. Uh, than the fruit that comes from knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, And the fruit of this world, unfortunately, is things like disturbing and uh, anxiety and confusion and all of these things. Uh, But, you know, when you think about it, we experience these types of things in life before COVID-19 started. Matter of fact, every single one of us started dealing with things like fear and anxiety uh, and disconcerting news from early on in life and in and, and, and very young age, uh, we were beginning to learn what a troubling atmosphere looked like. And what's unique about that is even in our early age, we always had something that we turned to. There was always something that we could seek out comfort in. Now, we talked about this in our marriage series that when it comes time to building healthy relationships and building trust, that you have to practice vulnerability. So today... I'm going to practice vulnerability. And there's one person at least out there that's going to make some kind of joke or make fun of me, and that's fine. Um, But I just want to share with you something, a little visual. Now, when I was a kid, this was comforting to me. This was my pound puppy. 
Now, raise your hand if you had a pound puppy. All right, see what I mean? Interaction here. Uh, And now you might have to hit pause and explain to your spouse or your children what a pound puppy is or why you had one. If your entire household that you're watching this video with has no idea what a pound puppy is, Google it. Google it. But this was my pound puppy. And I was so creative as a child that his, and yes, it's a he, his name was Pound Puppy. And uh, and Pound Puppy went everywhere with me. Man, I was into G.I. Joes and I was into Transformers and He-Man and all that cool boy stuff. But at the end of the day, when it came time to get in my bed and the lights went out and the darkness was around or when I was scared or when I was going on a long trip, man, I needed my Pound Puppy. Because Pound Puppy was there to make sure that I had something to hold on to, something to cling to. Man, he was an incredible listener. I mean, we had some good times. Pound Puppy was my outlet for comfort. But I wasn't alone. I asked my wife, I said, uh, I said Amanda, um, what was your outlet? What, what did you have to keep you comforted? And she said, well, I had my lamb chop. And fortunately for us, this is my wife's comfort toy uh, outlet. I don't know what you call it. It's not near as cool as a pound puppy, Uh, but this was lamb chop. And lamb chop for my wife served the same role that pound puppy served for me, that when we were scared, when we were nervous, or when anxiety, whatever it is, we didn't know what anxiety was, of course, at that age, but we reached for that which gave us comfort. Now, I'm just going to kind of set these up here. They might not stay. They might flop around or something. Um, But you know what? Let's just change the atmosphere a little bit uh, so you can kind of see the idea of what we look for for comfort and love even in the same regards. My children, my children kind of had the same thing ever since they were little bitty babies. Um, They had a blanket and my son had a blue blanket. My daughter has a pink blanket and they still have those in their rooms uh, and they still have access to them if they get scared or nervous. And sometimes we look up and one or the other of them went and got their blankets. They call them their maymays. It's a long story. Uh, but they hang on to them when things are crazy. When you're in the house and there's a storm going on and there's lightning and thunder, we reach for things that give us comfort. What was yours? When you were a child or when you were growing up, what was it that you remember that you kind of ran to? And, and this might be a good time if you wanted to hit pause and just have a little fun little discussion there with your family and just kind of talk about what was it that you had that was kind of your security blanket, your comfort. Uh, But you know what? Realistically, it might not have been a stuffed animal. It might not have been a blanket. It might have been something else. Uh, For some of you, it might have been uh, a person. And and while I had my pound puppy, my pound puppy was great. It did not supplant uh, the comfort that I had when I went to my mom or when I went to my dad. Uh, when things were going on, when things were crazy, when I was scared, I would go to them. And the comfort they gave was far better than Pound Puppy. But when it was just me and I was alone, man, I wanted my Pound Puppy. My wife wanted her lamb chop. Uh, we have those things, those outlets that we long for when we're seeking comfort and love. I'm so glad that God already beat us to the punch uh, when it came time for us, to, when we were seeking comfort, when we were seeking love, that God already had beaten us to the punch and provided an outlet for comfort and love for us uh, in the form of a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. But the only way we even knew about a relationship with him, the only way we knew that we needed redemption from our sins and we needed a savior through Christ was through something that I want us to spend a lot of time kind of unpacking today, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And that leads us to our passage in John 
chapter 14. In John chapter 14, we're, we're seeing kind of the back end of Jesus's ministry. Um, this is kind of right before, this is kind of during the Passover time. Jesus is already washing the disciples' feet. Uh, so we know he's on this, the, the, the fast track towards crucifixion. The disciples were unaware of it. Uh, and I love how Terrence reminded of us that this Wednesday night when Jesus was trying to walk them through it and prepare their hearts for it and teach them, hey, uh, Terrence was specifically talking about anxiety and he was talking about how, um, hey, there's going to be some things changing that's going to cause you great concern uh, as long as you're looking at the situations. But Jesus was trying to get his disciples to look towards him uh, and talk about how uh, he had already overcome all of these things. Uh, but that's in John chapter 16. I want us to be in John chapter 14. Uh, and this was one of those times where they were asking Jesus a bunch of questions and he was taking his time and kind of explaining it to them. Um, but look at this in John chapter 14. I want us to look in these three verses, beginning in verse 25. This is what Jesus says. He says, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I want us to spend some time just kind of unpacking these verses and seeing what Jesus gave us and what he was pointing the disciples to and being disciples of Christ, what he's still pointing us to in terms of comfort and love. And it's in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the, fir- the first thing is we look at the Holy Spirit as we unpack the Holy Spirit. The first thing I want us to recognize is that the Holy Spirit is part of the triune God. We use terminologies like the Trinity uh, or, or something like that. It's all part of the same thing. When we talk about the Trinity, when we talk about a triune God, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? What do you know about the Holy Spirit? Uh, because God's word is very clear in how it points out that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, which means that the Holy Spirit is God. In the same way that Jesus is God. In the same way that God the Father is God. Three unique character traits, three unique personalities, but they are one God. And they have different roles that play. But I want us to talk about this idea that the Holy Spirit uh, is the person of God. There's a lot of different thoughts about the Holy Spirit out there. But we see Jesus talking multiple times about the Holy Spirit Uh, He talks about the Holy Spirit in the third person. Earlier in this chapter, in John chapter 14, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in in verse 16 of John 14. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as another counselor. This is what he says in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another counselor, another comforter to help you and be with you forever. So Jesus is referring to another counselor, another advocate. A lot of people think, well, the Holy Spirit is like the, the ghost form of Jesus. No, it's not. The Holy Spirit is a completely different entity other than Jesus because Jesus referenced him in the third person multiple times. John fourteen twenty six. it says, he will teach you all things, insinuating that the Holy Spirit is a teacher. Again, uh, Jesus was a teacher, but he's also referencing the fact that the Holy Spirit is also a teacher. When we talk about the three distinct characteristics of the Trinity, of God, 
we see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descend upon Jesus at his baptism. This is one of those times, I think it's the only time in Scripture that we see uh, physical evidence of the Trinity at work. You have Jesus being baptized, you have the Holy Spirit descending on him in the form of a dove, and you have the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, So you have evidence of all three, the Trinity uh, God right there, the triune God. So you see that he is completely separate from God. He's completely separate from Jesus, but he is a person. He is an own entity. The Jehovah's Witness, um, well, we'll we'll talk about that in, in just a minute. But what we're looking at here is how the Holy Spirit has a unique role that's different than the role Jesus played. It's a unique role that also reflects that he is God in these situations. He's similar to Jesus in that he has unique abilities and traits that separate him, but he is God. So as we talk about that the Holy Spirit is triune God, we also need to recognize that the Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit is personal. I love Star Wars. Uh, I don't know if that makes me a nerd or whatever, but that's okay. I'm all right with it. I I really enjoy Star Wars from childhood up to whatever the last movie was. Uh, It's just really enjoyable. Uh, And and if you're familiar with Star Wars, and even if you're not, you're probably familiar with the term the Force. May the Force be with you. And this wonderful thing called the Force. And I remember uh, the other night, my children and I watched episode four. Uh, and there you have Obi-Wan Kenobi and all of his elderly Alex Guinness ways explaining that the Force is this, uh, this unexplainable thing that keeps and binds and everything together and everybody's happy and all of these good things. So you have this evidence of the Force. But the truth of the matter is that when you look in the Star Wars idea, the Force is very, it's a very impersonal, literal Force. It's not personal. It's not real. Everybody has access to the force, but it doesn't change, and it is who it is, and it, it, has, it affects everybody in different and unique ways. And a lot of times I've heard people even try to explain the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like the force. No, it's not. The Holy Spirit is personal. Why do we know that the Holy Spirit is personal? Well, we just talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. And that the Holy Spirit has unique traits and personalities. And because of who God is and how we are created in his image and how he poured his image into us and cares greatly for us and the fact that he sacrificed his son to redeem us tells us that God cares for us very uniquely and in personal ways. says that he knows the number of hairs on our head, that he knows the number of breaths in our life, that God cares for us like this. And if God cares for us this way, then we know that the Holy Spirit is personal. This is what I was talking about. The Jehovah's Witness described the Holy Spirit, uh, that it shares traits that are similar to like electricity that just kind of flows through everything and it connects everything and it can, I guess, give you a really strong charge or something. I don't, I don't get the point behind it, but that's not it. They also don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. But we have to understand that the Holy Spirit being part of the Trinity, being unique in its personal traits, being God himself and a person, a distinct person, That he is personal and that he's real. And that in a relationship we have with God through Jesus, initiated by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what made us aware of our need for a Savior and then guides us and leads us according to God's great purpose and plan, but also according to who we are made in his image. Philippians 2.1 says this, 
Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, listen to this, if any common sharing in the Spirit, Spirit capital S, talking about the Holy Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and he continues to talk about that in Philippians as Paul kind of unpacks his thought there, but what he's pointing to the fact that if any common sharing in the Spirit is referencing the fact that we have fellowship with the Spirit of God because we are in Christ. We have fellowship with the Spirit as others have fellowship with the Spirit, and it's unique to our relationship with the Spirit. It's also referenced in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, how, again, it's pointing us to this idea of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So we have the fact that the Holy Spirit is the triune God. It's part of the Trinity. He's God uh, as well. We have this idea that the Holy Spirit is personal um, because we're created in the image of God and because we're redeemed through Jesus Christ because of the initiation of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit relates to us and fellowships with us and has a desire in in our relationship with God then we also have to understand what God's word is pointing us to here, kind of bringing it down, continue to bring it down, that the Holy Spirit is talked about in Scripture is referred to as an advocate. And some of your translations may say comforter. Some of your translations may say counselor. And, and man, we could literally talk for hours about all the various elements and views and aspects and layers of the Holy Spirit. But today I just want us to kind of bring it down to where we're trying to talk about and how we are loved and comforted by God on a day-to-day basis. So because the Holy Spirit is God and because the Holy Spirit is personal, then it only makes sense that he's working on our behalf for the glory of God the Father. And I want us to kind of see that, and I want us to understand that by looking at John 14, verse 27, and kind of pulling, breaking that passage of Scripture down very, very uh, uniquely, intimately, kind of walking it through and kind of seeing how we have evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in this passage that Jesus was just talking about. In John 14, 26, Jesus has just said this, but the advocate, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus is revealing to the disciples that kind of the first job uh, that he's making them aware of from the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is going to teach them all things and then remind them of everything Jesus teaches and what he taught. That's one of the invaluable ways we have the Holy Spirit is that when we, when we are daily seeking after God the Father by spending time in his word, that the Holy Spirit's going to remind us of the truths that God is showing us in his word. The Holy Spirit still does these things of teaching us and helping us understand what God's word is saying, but it also takes it one step further that as we live our lives, that it's reminding us and taking us back to the teachings that we find in the word of God, that the teachings that Jesus showed us as a living example of what God intended for us to do and how God intended for us to live. So I want us to take verse 27 and just walk through that passage of Scripture. So go with me. So in verse 27, look at that first phrase that we see here. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. In this context, Jesus is is using the word peace here twice. If we look at the Hebrew word for peace, it's the word shalom. We've heard that, that word commonly before. You're probably familiar with that term. The Hebrew version of peace, which is shalom, actually translates into the word calm, calmness, 
like tranquility almost. In the same regard, the Greek word for peace was Irene. I pronounced it Irene. It's basically Irene with an E in front of it. So however you pronounce it, you pronounce it. And you'll be the authority in your household of how you pronounce the Greek word for for peace. But I'm going to call it Irene. And the literal translation for the Greek word for peace means unity. Unity. So Jesus was literally saying, when he talks about peace in the first part of verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, he's literally saying this, that the spiritual, when he talks about peace, he's referring to the spiritual harmony brought about by an individual's restoration with God. A calmness, a tranquility, and a unity. But it only comes through knowing God through our relationship with Christ, when he talks about this peace that I leave you, and I want to, I want to point out for that. Let me back up real quick. He says, "I will remind you of everything I have said to you." And the very next thing he says is, "Peace, I give you. My peace, I give to you." The peace Jesus is offering us, the peace that Jesus still offers us daily, reminds of how we have been restored into a life-giving relationship with God the Father through His life. The life of Christ. Just like Terrence reminded us Wednesday night, why does this mean so much? Because of Christ, Christ has overcome the world that we see in John 16, verse 33. So when he's talking about the peace we have, when Jesus is reminding us, when, when he's telling us that this Holy Spirit is going to remind us of the peace we have that is found in Christ, it's because of our unified calmness that comes from knowing that we have been restored into a relationship with God the Father through Jesus who has overcome the world. I don't know about you, but it's a pretty strong source of comfort right there. It's pointing us to the faithfulness of God and what he's afforded to us by giving us the peace that comes from knowing Christ. Do you know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If the answer is yes, then we need to temper everything that this world, everything that's happening in this world right now, we need to put it in the perspective of the peace that we have in our Savior. And hopefully looking at it through the lens of Jesus as our peace Jesus as our unity, reminding us of the relationship we have with God the Father, that we have been restored, that we have been given into a relationship, a life-giving relationship because of what Jesus has done when he overcame the world, it kind of makes things like COVID-19 seem a whole lot smaller. It kind of makes things like the, the, the fruit that this world has given us to eat, kind of makes it put it in perspective. But it's a whole lot smaller compared to what we have and knowing Christ Jesus is Lord. Is Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? Because if the answer is yes, then that in itself should convict us if we've kind of overreacted to everything that's going on right now and recognizing that my hope isn't in whatever takes place next in this crazy world. My hope and my peace is in Jesus. But let's keep looking in this text. Keep going. He says, peace I leave you, peace I give you. Look at that next phrase he says. He says, I do not give as the world gives. Now, we can spend a lot of different ways. uh, We can spend a lot of time going different ways on how we could translate this part of Scripture. We could talk about how does the world give peace, or we could talk about all these different things. My question is simply to you, how does the world give? He says, I do not give as the world gives. Well, how do we know? How How does the world give things? 
More specifically, how does the world give compared to how God gives? When we look at how the world gives, I just wrote a few of these down. The world gives very selfishly, doesn't it? The mindset behind giving is defined by the world. It's a very selfish mindset. Because when the world gives, it's, it's always, how does, it, how does it make me feel? I'm going to give you something, but what does that look like? How does that make me look? How does that make me feel? How does this benefit me? We're all familiar with that. That's the way the world gives. The world gives because it wants something in return. If you want a visual example of this, I encourage you to get out of your house whenever we're done this morning, go to a house that you've never been to before, knock on the door, and ask them to give you some toilet paper. You kind of get an idea of the reaction you're going to get. That's kind of an idea, that's kind of a reflection of how the world gives. That a lot of times when we look at how the world has set the model for giving, it's radically different than how God gives. Well, let's ask the question, how does God give? Look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Don't look there, just listen to it. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. This is how God gives. You've heard it said, you can't outgive God. And it's absolutely right. Unfortunately, most of the time you hear that phrase, it's in the context of tithing. But it also applies in every other context that comes to the things that glorify God and that gives him uh, the... the um, I hate to use the word twice, but I'll do it again. It gives him the glory of these areas in your life. God gives lavishly to those the things that bring glory to his name. This is how we experience salvation because God has given us his son. God has given lavishly everything we possibly need so that we might be able to call him father that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we might be brought into a relationship with God. And through that relationship, we have fellowship with God the Father and that we have access to the Holy Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. So God gives us these things. That's why Jesus says, I don't give as the world gives because there's no limit on what I give. There's no, that's enough on what I give. There's no, but what's in it for me? The way Jesus gives The way God gives, whether it's his peace or whether it's his love or mercy or comfort, he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. And you're not going to find the end of that barrel. You're not going to get to the bottom of it. You're going to get to the bottom of the ocean and you're going to find places that have never been destroyed before you even start to scratch the surface of the depth that Jesus gives to us. And yes, that is referencing how Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gives us comfort and love and peace and these things. The word lavish is defined, it says it's in a very generous or extravagant manner. When you think of extravagant, uh, I don't know what comes to your mind, but when I think of extravagant, I think about uh, driving through like a really, really, really rich neighborhood. I don't know if I've ever really driven through a rich neighborhood. I've seen them on TV though. And you see these houses and you see this extravagance in the, the size or the value of things. You see these really expensive cars driving down the road and be like, man, that's really extravagant. You think about this stuff. This is what it means. This is what lavish means. Very extravagant. And yes, that means that God and what he has given us and what he affords to us through a relationship 
with him through a relationship by knowing Jesus and through constant fellowship with him through the Holy Spirit, he's kind of showing off to the world, this is a love that comes only from me. And if you want this love, then you need to come to me. This is how we should be proud and be excited to live out our faith extravagantly because we want the world to show how God has lavished on us his goodness and who he is and his mercy and grace so that they would be reminded of the invitation or maybe even made aware for the very first time of the invitation that God has extended to them to love them the exact same way. That when we live our faith, the Holy Spirit and work in us, the Holy Spirit is also making them aware of their need for this love that they've never known. This is how God gives compared to how the world gives. He gives lavishly. It's not even worthy of comparison how the world gives compared to how Jesus gives. This is what God is reminding us for. Let's keep moving forward. The next phrase he uses is this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You ever had a troubled heart? Yeah, you have. It's one of those things that even when you lay down in bed at night, you just lay there. You stare at the ceiling because you can't get something off your mind. Well, Justin, you just said troubled heart. Now you're talking about your mind. Well, yeah. I'm not talking about indigestion. I'm not talking about heartburn. I'm talking about a troubled heart. When your world is shaking, when everything, when nothing is going right, when everything that you knew you could count on and lean on is kind of starting to crumble, when that one person or that one thing is, you realize it's not going to be there, and suddenly you have a troubled heart. I referenced it earlier, but Jesus comes back two chapters later in verse six, chapter 16, verse 33, and he says this. This is the full verse of John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in, may, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Dude, I get it. There's some things that you can't just get over. There's some things you can't just look past. There's some things that because we don't know what's going to take place, we don't know what's going to happen next, we're just like, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't get it off my mind. I've had those nights too, okay? I'm not sitting here saying, hey, Jesus said don't let your hearts be troubled, so everything's going to be fine and you can just move. No, I get it. There's some real-life situations and circumstances that I go through, that you're going through, maybe even right now, that it's just like, man, my heart is troubled. And it's heavy and it's hard. I wish I could just like give you the advice that you need that's going to fix everything and make it all go away. And I I can in the person of Jesus. But beyond that, I just want to remind you and point you to the exact thing that the same Jesus that said, do not let your hearts be troubled, is the same Jesus that said two chapters later, I have overcome the world. Take heart. Jesus is trying to remind us to look at it from his perspective. We look at it from a fallen world perspective, a sinful man perspective, a powerless perspective of, oh, what can I do? We are powerless. But Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Look to me. Look at this situation. Look at this COVID-19. Look at whatever it is that's troubling you from my perspective of how I've already conquered it. And through me, through a relationship with me, through the salvation that only comes from Christ, conquered it too because whatever it is we're facing is temporary we have the hope 
the eternal hope of our being in the presence of God because of Jesus, through Jesus. So when he says to us, do not let your hearts be troubled, he knows what he's talking about. You're also hearing from a a Savior who's somewhere on his mind is thinking about Calvary. And we see a few other other places in the gospel. We see him when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's thinking about what's waiting for him, when he's thinking about him, uh, the fulfillment of his earthly mission of laying down his life And not because the crucifixion is going to be that physically tormenting. Trust me, it was. But the fear, not the fear, but just the weight of the sin of all of humanity resting on his shoulders. Being the full object, the epitome of the object of scorn of God. The thought of that caused him to sweat drops of blood and cry out to the Heavenly Father, God, if there is another way, let it be. I think Jesus knows what he's talking about when it comes to a troubled heart. But right after he says, God, if there's another way, let it be, the very next words out of his mouth were, but God, it's your will be done, not mine. And maybe when it comes to what's troubling our hearts, maybe we just need to kind of take a breath for just a minute, exhale a little bit, and just kind of trust God. Lean on the Holy Spirit and say, hey, I know there's a lot of different possible outcomes, but God, I want it to be your outcome. Because God, if it's your outcome, that means that you have my best interest in mind. I cannot tell you how I've been blessed this past week talking to some of our families that are dealing with things like cancer. And this week we got some good news, and this week we got some... Some news that wasn't exactly awesome. But what's been so amazing and what has ministered to me so much is to see family members that are walking that path with their loved one that have just said with just a unique sense of peace, we're trusting God because we know he's still on his throne. May we live by that and may we remember that when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. The Holy Spirit is reminding us it's okay and it's going to be okay. It might not turn out the way that you want it to turn out, but if it's for the glory of God, don't let your heart be troubled by it because God's going to make it happen and we're going to be all right according to his plans and purposes. And then look at this last phrase. He says in verse 27, the last phrase he says there, and do not be afraid. I find it quite ironic, but not really, that the words do not be afraid in some various form, fear not, do not be afraid, um, appear in Scripture 365 times. Anybody remember how many days in the year there are? Okay, there's that one guy. Yeah, but it's a leap year, 366. There's always one. I get it. You can text me who that was if that was somebody in your house. Uh, We'll ridicule them later. I'm just kidding. We won't. I'm just kidding. We will. Do not be afraid is what Jesus says here. What he's talking about, the Holy Spirit's going to remind him of the words that he gives you. He gives the words, do not be afraid. He's given these words. God has given us these words 365 times in Scripture. Look at what it says. Paul writes about it in Romans 8.15. The Spirit, and again, he uses the Spirit with a capital S, talking about the Holy Spirit, 
The Holy Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received, the Holy Spirit, brought about your adoption to sonship. When Jesus looks and says, do not be afraid, there is power in that. There's a reason behind that. I want to I direct you to Isaiah chapter 43. Yeah, I got you, Jackson. I want to direct you to Isaiah 43 because I want you to sh- I want to show you the beauty uh, of kind of fleshed out what God had already given the people in the form of his word uh, as we see this and the talking about the idea of do not be afraid. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. But now, this is what the Lord says. Remember that. This is God's words. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. Excuse me. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, you know, somebody said to me, where in the Bible does it tell me that God loves you? Isaiah 43. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Look what he says here, man. He says it twice in those five verses. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Well, Why? Why should I not fear God? Look what he says here. For I've redeemed you. You are mine. Two pretty strong reasons of why you shouldn't be afraid. Because God's not, if you, when we belong to the Father through Christ, God's not going to let anything uh, come into our lives or affect our lives that he has not already prepared and equipped us to walk forward in our faith with him to handle. I'm not saying it's going to be what you want. This is not a name it and claim it sermon. This is a time where we recognize that we trust God to walk and lead us through whatever it is that we encounter. We trust him. So why should we be afraid? If you trust someone, you're not going to be afraid of everything beyond their control. What's beyond the control of God? He says, do not fear. Why? Because I've redeemed you. Because you are mine. And then look what he says here. When you pass through the waters. I love this passage of scripture. You've heard me say this before. When you pass through the waters. Not if you pass through the waters. Not if this pandemic comes to the United States. Not if somebody in your family gets cancer or gets sick. Not if it doesn't turn out the way you want. He says, when you pass through the waters. In other words, trials are coming. We talked about at the very beginning how this world is troubling. It's disturbing. It's disconcerting. These things are going to happen when they happen. God says, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, not if, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. I want you to think about that. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the rivers, I'm pretty sure when you do those two things, you're going to get wet. You're going to get something splashed on you. But you're not going to be overcome. You're not going to drown. The waters will not overcome you. 
You might get wet. You might even be up to your, might be knee deep, waist deep. You might be neck deep in it. But guess what? You're not going to be overcome by the waters. That's what God's promise says. Look what else he says. Not if, but when you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. You won't be set ablaze. You know what? You're probably going to feel the heat. It's probably going to get a place where it's a little uncomfortable. He didn't say you're going to walk through cooler than a, the other side of the pillow or cooler than an, an ice cube. No, when you pass through the fire, when you walk through the fire, when you deal with this, you're not going to be burned. You might feel the heat, but it's not going to touch you. You might feel the heat, but you're not going to be set ablaze. It might be really hard and you might think, man, this is it. But I'll be with you. why why is god with us why is god with us in the heat and in the waters why is god give us in the cancer why is god with us in covid 19 why is god with us today why is the holy spirit making us aware of the presence of god for i am the lord your god i am the holy one i am your savior If we were bought with a price, it's not to turn around and get put back on the shelf to sell again. We're his. And he knows exactly what we're going through and when we're going through it. Whether it's corporately as a church or whether it's individually because the Holy Spirit is a personal God that walks with us, that guides us, that reminds us of who God is and reminds us of his great love for us. Reminding us of the words of Jesus, reminding us of the word of God that he has said 365 times, don't be afraid. Because I'm God and you're mine, don't be afraid. Because we can trust him. We can trust him. All the love and the comfort we could possibly need are found in the presence of God. And we're ushered into that presence by the Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, our advocate, our counselor, to meet us where we are, to remind us of the words of Jesus, the words of God, and to prove to us that we have nothing to fear, we have nothing to be afraid of. It may be a little different than reaching for your pound puppy or your lamb chop, but it's far better. It doesn't wear out. This morning, What are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your trust in? Where are you seeking your comfort? Because the Holy Spirit is reminding you, you have never left the presence of God. You have never outrun his reach and his pursuit of you with his great and infinite love is far better than anything this world can offer and gives us far more security than any of this unsettling times can. Church, let's look to the Lord and let's be reminded by the active work of the Holy Spirit of who he is and how he is our Savior. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege we have of acknowledging your word as truth this morning. God, I thank you for the families in our church. I thank you for the uh, individuals in our church 
I thank you for those who profess Jesus as Lord. And I pray, Father, that it's not just something we profess, but it's something that we cling to and we build our life around, even in these uncertain times, wondering what happens next, wondering how long will this last? When will it end? God, may we just have our peace and our hope and our confidence and our assurance and our comfort found in you. Holy Spirit, show us and remind us and reveal to us your word so that we can build our life on it, God. I thank you, Father, for making it uh, so available to us and giving us access to you through your word. And God, in these times, may we cling ever more so closely to who you are and what you've given us. God, thank you for our time we can spend together, even if it's on an, an internet connection. But God, may we never look past the connection we have with you and how you, through your Holy Spirit, are continuing to lead and guide us through these days. Be glorified, Father. Put your gospel on our lips, and may we not rest until we proclaim it to someone who needs to hear it today. I thank you and I love you for the privilege we have of meeting together in this way today, God. And until we meet again, Father, would you be glorified in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I love you, I miss you, and we'll see you soon.